Could it be the end of days for Internet Explorer? Hi, I'm Artemis. I am a computer-generated AI voice, and you're listening to Tech Radio. Every week online and on air with RTE Radio, we bring you the latest in tech. You're very welcome to episode 957. A little later on in the show, we're going to talk about learning how to code online when we have Roman Apostle from Mate Academy who are based in Ukraine. We're also chatting about the future of Twitter and some very exciting rumors on some new Apple tech coming out this year. This is Tech Radio with Dusty Rhodes and Niall Kitson. Niall Kitson is with me straight into the top story, Microsoft. Internet Explorer, it's gone. It's no more. That's it. It's been buried. And Edge is there with the shovel. (laughs) 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 Turfing the the muck on top of the coffin going, see ya. (laughs) Well, I mean, seriously, that's exactly what it is. If you thought you had Internet Explorer on your Windows machine, well, guess what? You don't. Mm -hmm. It's been yanked. Um, so you've got, you've got edge, nothing wrong with edge. I mean, it's based on Chromium, but, uh, there you go. Unless you have a copy of, uh, windows 10, like the, the long-term servicing channel Mm. versions, which are, you know, they're for enterprise and IOT. Uh, if you still got a version of windows seven or eight, you can still use internet explorer, but guess what? They're not they're no longer being officially supported either. Mm. Um, And uh, apparently the the engine that runs underneath it, the MS HTML, uh, there's a compatibility mode that Edge has that will be around until at least 2029, so says Microsoft. So this isn't just a matter of, you know, oh, we've ended compatibility. It's like, no, they they ended compatibility and security updates in June of last year. This is like gone. Forget about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're done now. And the future is Edge. And I bet you uh, that the reason why you've just got to use Edge, well, first, as you say, it's Chromium based. All right. So it does all of the stuff that Chrome does. Um, but also uh, Bing and their Microsoft's whole internet search and AI is going to work so much more better in Edge. So it's the browser to have, isn't it? It certainly is. And that's that's really funny. Uh, the fact that when when you're looking at AI, it is going to end up being, you know, Edge and ChatGPT versus Chrome and uh, Bard. And they're both uh, um, they're both based on Chromium. Both browsers based on Chromium. I'm going through a really interesting process at the moment in that I've got two different businesses, okay? Right. Uh, one of the businesses is using the Microsoft Office package. Mm-hmm. All right. So I've got OneDrive for sharing files and we've got Word and spreadsheets and data and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Outlook and, and whatever. And then, um, only recently, the last couple of months, I started using Google's alternative, which is the Google uh, Office or whatever it's called. G Suite. Yeah. Or Google Workspace. That's it. That's what it's called now. Yes. It was G Suite. Mm. Uh, and actually, do you know what? I, ha- I don't like, I, I never, the reason I never got into Google because everything with Google is online. All right. Mm hmm. But if you're working and you're collaborating with other people and you're all in remote uh, locations, as is the case of this particular business, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it really is fantastic. It's not as polished as Word. It's not as polished as as uh, Excel or, or any of those things. But for the day-to-day documents, email, chat messaging, uh, I must say I'm having a really good experience with Google, as much as I hate to say it. Um, 
and uh, I think it works much better on for for an online team than the uh, the whole office package does. And then Microsoft are because I started using Microsoft even more. They're wrecking me head. They're wrecking oh. me head, Niall. <laughs> <laughs> what do they do now? They haven't done anything, but it's just Microsoft stuff not working. Do you know what I mean? No. I, I had a thing today where I wanted to move the OneDrive folder from 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 here to there. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and like if this is Dropbox, you just say, "Yeah, will you change the location from there to there?" And it's done. Hey, you log into OneDrive, it's like, "Oh, yeah, 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 you can do that." Okay, but you need to unlink. This computer, okay, uh, and and then you go to move it, and then and then when you come back and you click link this computer again, and then you go to the whole setup process, and when it gets to the bit where where is your OneDrive folder, then you select the new location. Hmm. Holy God, it's twenty twenty three. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. but anyway, both of them, both of them are excellent. Uh, and both of them are just gorillas, really, aren't they? In yeah. different ways. Well, I mean, collaboration was uh, Google's killer app, really. Otherwise, yeah. you'd be like, this is just a lightweight uh, word processor, Google yeah. Docs. And, my, and all my, of a sudden, yeah. it just my, became something else. Yeah, Microsoft are trying to do collaboration, but I just don't think that they've got it down as well as uh, as Google. Anyway, will you be mourning the end of Windows Explorer? Are you sad? Disappointed? Are you like, Meh. Ah, well, I mean, Internet Explorer was the right browser for the right time, which is to say when I started buying computers. <laughs> I'm going to give away my age now, right? Yeah. Uh, but it was myself and another chap in RT2FM at the time, uh, Barry Lang. And we were both kind of running the 2FM website on the edges of RTE because they hadn't jumped into the internet. There was no such thing as RTE.ie. We just had 2FM.ie. Yeah. And, uh, and Microsoft at the time were, were launching Windows Explorer. And it was himself and myself got to do the presentation uh, somewhere in Dublin. I can't remember where it was. Hmm. I was standing in front of a room going, Windows Explorer is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till you see what it could do. <laughs> oh, happy day. Well, I tell you, my my favorite experience with Internet Explorer yeah. um, when Explorer Seven came out and they yeah. su- they started uh, supporting HTML five. Yeah. Um, there was a, a presentation in a hotel in Dublin where they wanted to show everything that you could do in HTML five that you couldn't do before or do as well, and um, the internet connection was rubbish. So they couldn't do anything. <laughs> oh, crikey. As happens. As happens. As happens. Anyway, so we, we'll take a, a brief moment to mourn the loss of Windows Explorer and moving straight on. Let's <laughs> get into Apple. <laughs> so a couple, couple of things that I'm just hearing about Apple that I'm kind of, ooh, yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they're talking about going into the hardware subscription business. Now, so, you, you, we've got three Apple stories and for me, I'm like, sign me up for all three of them. All three of them. Well, then story number one is hardware subscription. They're going to start off with the iPhone. At the moment, you can. You, there's a scheme where you can pay for your iPhone over 24 months or whatever, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's an option in there where after 11 months, if you want to upgrade to the next model, well, then you just start afresh with another 24-month contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like renting. But at any stage, if you complete the two years, you own the phone. Hmm. Um, they're thinking of no going into genuine just renting your iPhone which I think is interesting what mm-hmm. I think is more interesting is that they might get into renting all their hardware mm. would you rent a laptop would you rent a Mac Pro 
Sure. Why not? <laughs> sure. Especially if, if the managing director is paying for it, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. it ultimately depends what the net cost of these things is going to be. If, I mean, for one, this is a wonderful way of getting people into your ecosystem in the exact mm. same way that mobile phone providers have for, you know, ever. It did um, for a long time, yeah. So, and I've heard, you know, rumblings from other PC vendors of sort of looking at it and going, why aren't we doing this? You know, mm. this keeps us, this keeps customers with us for longer, um, spending more money and everybody's happy. Um, if you were to go, okay, you have to spend maybe, I think I spend like 35 a month on my SIM card only mobile phone plan, right? We'll yeah. say that that's roughly what it is. Yeah. And if Apple were to say, okay, we need you to pay 30 euro a month for an iPhone that you can upgrade at the end of 24 months for free. Uh-huh. I mean, come on, like that's better value straight away than, um, than the mobile phone networks. I would be very concerned if I was a Vodafone or a three. Where would you get? Because, okay, so the whole thing about renting is then you can upgrade and Mm. and whatever. But then you've got, I always find, even though it's getting easier and easier, I always find it a pain when you upgrade. All right. Mm -hmm. Because you've got to get the data from one machine onto Mm -hmm. another, whether it's a phone or a laptop or or whatever it happens to be. Now, it's getting much easier today with a a cloud and stuff like that. And then you've got to set it up the way the other one was and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, I'd almost like to kind of just get away from that kind of pain. Mm Mm-hmm. I did. I did a thing with a phone where they just did. It was a, a an over the air kind of an update. Yeah. You just put the two phones beside each other. Wait to do it. After twenty minutes, the new phone looked kind of a bit like the old phone. Yep. <laughs> I knew where everything was. Yep. It's exactly what you want. So listen, you're you're well in for the hardware subscription. I am not um, because uh, I know that there isn't really much value in that. Two years down the line, you're trying to sell your iPhone. You only get a fraction of what. It's worth if you want to. Yeah, but like you've, if you've only rented it, do you not have to hand it back in? You do have to hand it back in. Of course you do. Well, yeah. Then. I like, I've mm. got like old mobile phones in here that there's maybe one thing wrong with it that would affect yeah. its sale value or it's too old. Yeah. Or, you know, there's, there's one that's reasonably modern. You know, it will fit my SIM card or something like that. There's just one little reason to hang on to them. If you, <laughs> and, to, and so you naturally do. You know, yeah. even though you don't have, you know, a, a proper reason for hanging on to it. Yeah. If, they, if I had something that said, no, that's your phone. Every so often you're going to get a new one. Deal with it. And, well, listen, this is, this is what they're thinking of. They're thinking of renting iPhones. And of course, that could then move out into renting iPads. It could move out into renting laptops uh, uh, and the whole thing. The other interesting news from Apple this week is they're thinking of bringing a MacBook Air, a new MacBook Air, which they may launch in the spring with a 15-inch screen. Nice, big 15-inch MacBook Air. This does excite you, yes? It does. I mean, how many times have I talked about the computer that I need requiring a 15-inch screen because I use graphics? Mostly text, but I use some graphics. Um, You know, I've got a 15-inch PC, which does a a fantastic job. uh, And it was, you know, pretty pretty good value for money. Mm. Uh, However, knowing the advances Apple have made uh, with their M2 chip, for example, um, I would be delighted to have a MacBook that would service my needs without having to put pro on the end of it and yeah. spending an additional grand. Like 
if I mean, how much is a base model MacBook Air these days? It's under a thousand euro. No, no. <laughs> When's the last time you bought a laptop? Oh my God, no. The, the MacBook Air for a long time, the thirteen inch was around. Uh, you might get it for a grand, twelve hundred, somewhere in and around there. And I can't remember if I'm thinking uh, plus or including or XFAT. But anyways, um, and now I think the starting point is twelve hundred and up. Uh, and if you want kind of, I think I was looking at a MacBook Air and it's kind of, well, that's the one that I want. That's the one most close to the one that I have. And it's now 1500 quid. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. I'm just, there. I'm just checking the, checking the shop there. And uh, with an M1, it starts at 1200. Yeah. There you go. And uh, M2 then it's 1500 quid, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. So, uh, no, I think you're, you're 15 inch. There you go. 15 inches for 1500 quid. That, that'd be a good price. That would be, <laughs> it could be an interesting price. The only thing I keep saying it to you, Niall, is uh, a 15 inch laptop dragging it around the place, be mm. it an air or whatever, is a pain in the rear end. Yeah. The yeah. solution to your problem is you get an enormous monitor and a <laughs> docking station. Yeah. Yeah. But do you listen to me? Do you <laughs> listen to me? No, you don't. The other uh, piece of news from Apple this week is, now this is well up your area, uh, being a gamer, Mm. is a a mixed reality Mm. headset. And they're saying that Apple are going to uh, debut this at uh, the Worldwide uh, Developers Conference. Yeah, uh, June, uh, June. Uh, I don't want to say deadline, but uh, expect, expected. And this is according to Bloomberg and the information to pretty good sources. Yeah. Um, we've been waiting on this for a long time. Um, and it looks like it's going to cost around $3,000, which is about double what uh, the Quest Pro headset Meta is yeah. from Meta that was released uh, last year. Yeah. And so again, it's it's not going to be cheap. So who is this going to be for? Um, I mean, I guess it'll be for content creators looking to build VR experiences and have it filtered down and let other people make cheaper models. I guess I'm not sure. Um, what would you, what would you think? I've no idea because the Apple and a virtual reality headsets just terrifies me. <laughs> I'm quite sure it will, be, it will be very cool, but the restrictions that we put on you and the price you'd have to pay for it is like uh, not for me. Do you know what they will do? Do you know? And this this actually would be very interesting. Their product announcements in VR, you can walk around the stage, you can walk into the various testing settings, you can have a look around, you can virtually pick up the product. Wow. That'd be fantastic. That is amazing. So you put on your virtual reality headset or your mixed reality headset, and then you can see whatever the new toy is. Yeah. And you can get an idea for the size and how it works and Mm -hmm. uh, and turn it. Wow. Wouldn't that be brilliant? That's my idea. I think you need to you need to write that down and publish it somewhere so you can prove that it's your idea. And then I think you need to call Apple and you're going to say, you know, this Tim guy, I've got a new suggestion for CEO. It's say moi. Yeah, just just make sure this is, this episode is properly date stamped. It'll be <laughs> good, go. definitely. Listen, uh, let's wrap up with uh, our your friend and mine, uh, Elon Musk. Um, I saw a story about him the other day where he donated something like two billion uh, in shares or something like that uh, to charity. And now you're coming on with this story going, 
it's the end of the halo effect. He's not as popular as he thinks he was. Well, this, this is it. I mean, I, I think ever since this purchase of Twitter went through, um, a lot of people have seen aspects of Elon Musk's character and they're like, oh, this is what he's actually like. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I like this guy. <laughs> really? <laughs> and it's been happening a lot to the point that uh, during the Super Bowl, um, he had a tweet and Joe Biden had a tweet. Yeah. And um, Elon Musk had a, a fairly partisan tweet for uh, the team that lost. So, you know, not one for backing a winner, unfortunately. Um, and uh, Joe Biden put out a tweet during the, during the same time, which got millions more engagements than his. And and you remember that, you know, he added that little thing where you get to see, you know, how many people saw the tweet and, yeah, as well as likes and retweets. And uh, he was blown out of the water by Joe Biden. So he went to his engineering team and went, oh, no, no, this is unacceptable. I, I want my tweets to have the most engagements. I'm the boss. <laughs> so his engineers have had to, you know, execute a brute force attack to make his tweet look more popular than Joe Biden's. You know, change the algorithm, make me look great. I don't yeah. care about anyone else. Well, these, um, yeah, these these are the things you can do when you're the boss. Though, fortunately, yeah. he will be going soon because he did the poll and he said, all right, okay, I'll leave. That's it. And every all the all the uh, Tesla shareholders went, hallelujah, thank God, come back yeah. to actually doing yeah. a job. So when, um, is he, when is he resigning? He's, he, he, it's not going to be 2023. What? He says, what? Uh, well, I need to find someone that can do the job as soon as I've got the company on an even keel. So oh, it'll probably no. be towards the end of 2023. Oh. I mean, even keel is not where Twitter is at the moment. I, I mean, it, it had yeah. all those advertisers pull out. It's it's being sued for not paying the rent on its, uh, on its offices. Uh, it's cut its Salesforce contract. They were spending 20 million on Salesforce. They brought it back to 5 million. Um, you know, there's an awful lot of stuff going on with that company that does not say happy house. So Elon Musk is with us uh, uh, in the Twitter sphere for uh, quite some time to come. Oh, he's never leaving. Maybe so, but it's time for us to leave. Well, for the news anyway this week. And Niall Kitson, as always, thanks for keeping us up to date. Remember... You can get the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website, techcentral.ie. It's been a year since Russia invaded Ukraine. And while it's easy to think that the whole country is under bombardment, there are companies that are not only getting by there, but they are growing. Roman Apostle is co-founder of Mate Academy, and he had a chat with Niall Kitson about his company's mission in Ukraine to train a generation of coders. Roman, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the show today. I suppose the first thing you can do for us is to explain a little bit about Mate Academy. And first of all, even back further, where your interest in technology came from or your own work experience in technology is. Uh, yeah, thank, thanks, thanks, Niall. Thanks for uh, this opportunity to be present here. Uh, it's a great honor. So, uh, yeah, I actually, I used to be a, a software engineer. Uh, I uh, naturally kind of from a, from a, from a school, I loved tech, I loved math. And then I went to one of the best universities in Ukraine where I s- studied computer science. And, uh, uh, and eventually I... Uh, landed a job at Google New York, and uh, I was working uh, there uh, for 
four and a half years as a tech lead of a team of 10 people. And uh, I really loved it. I, I, I love software engineering. And uh, um, I think there's like many people who could also get a, a job as software engineers with their like proper education, with proper investment from their side. And back when I was uh, at university, I met my uh, future wife, Anna, and we both moved to New York uh, and I was working there and she was like kind of um, looking for things to do in her life because she, she was also, uh, we studied together, she also has like tech background and we, she was looking to do something impactful, something that could, that could like meaningfully change people's lives. And, um, and the thing that, uh, uh, she came up with like, is that, um, a lot of people was, if we, if, if they are taught well, if uh, they, they could become software engineers and there's like this global shortage of, uh, uh, engineers, she started bootstrapping this in 2014 and, uh, up until now, this problem is not really solved, right? There's like, even despite some some layoff this recent months, uh, there's still a shortage of software engineers. And her idea was that she wanted to build a great product. And how do you build a great product in, in education? Uh, the idea was that let's let's kind of tie our results as a company uh, to results of our students, to success of our students. And success for our students uh, is them getting a job in tech. So that's how she came up with the idea that she's going to teach people for free until they get a job. And then when they get a job, they'll pay a percentage of their salary. This model uh, later, sometime in 2018, became known as ISA, uh, Income Share Agreement. And uh, um, yeah, so she started bootstrapping uh, this idea from from remotely from New York when remote was not really a thing. There was no like Zoom, there was no uh, Google Meetup, there was only Skype, but it kind of wasn't really perfect. Uh, so yeah, she started started teaching uh, first student on her own because she was kind of an uh, engineer and. Uh, and that was quite a journey. We, we talked about this a lot with uh, Anna, my wife, and while I, I was at Google. And uh, I remember the story of like first student, uh, and it was intense. Uh, I think she had to go through like almost 30 uh, job interviews to actually get a job. But once we uh, got it, it was a it, it was a huge success for both Anna, who was a one person company back then, and and for the student. Uh, and I saw how this changed his life. Now he's a um, DevOps engineer, like great career and stuff. And over the four years while we were both in New York, I saw uh, how uh, Mate Academy, uh, what oh, was interesting thing is like the name back then was Easy Start in IT. For some reason in, in Ukraine, Eastern Europe, uh, we don't say tech. Uh, industry, we say IT industry, and the idea was like we're gonna help people to have a have an easy start in in tech in IT. So that was the name of the uh, company. But then, very quickly, we realized that it's not easy. The start is never easy because you have to like uh, invest a lot of your time uh, to make sure that you're changing the career and you're starting your career in tech. And that's 
when we realize that our mission in uh, in this process is to be friends, uh, to be friends for our students. And that's how we became uh, Made Academy. Uh, but yeah, in four years from 2014 to 2018, I've seen how um, 100 lives were changed and people started their career in tech and how their lives uh, has changed a lot. And um, uh, yeah, so I really like that. And since 2018, uh, I've joined Made and I'm working on that. There was a like long story. I don't know if I, I, I answered your question. So please, please, please ask me more. No, absolutely. Uh, what stands out for your, uh, from your story there is moving from, you know, engineering with Google into a more educational setting. Uh, and of course, on a smaller scale as well. Did you find you had to adjust your mindset uh, a little bit for working in that smaller organization in, a, in an educational uh, organization as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. This is um, actually before Google, I was building another ad tech uh, startup. Uh, so I had this experience of a year and a half uh, building a small company. Then I went to Google, which is a huge thing. Everything is counted in billions. Uh, if it's in millions, it's, it's tiny and Google is not interested in that. At Google, everything is counted at billions. And uh, and then back to uh, Mate Academy in four year in first four years we've placed uh, hundreds of students and this is not even thousands right this is this is only hundreds of students but I I personally know how impactful um, was that change of career and and starting tech was for those people so um, I, I still think it's a it's a huge thing and another like large change in your responsibilities when you're switching from large company to a small company is like in in at google you are a tiny part of something huge and have and you have all kind of relatively small responsibilities uh, when you're building a company from scratch you are responsible for everything pretty much everything there is like no dedicated person for everything when i joined in 2018 we had um uh, you know, like Silicon Valley startups are built in, uh, in garage, uh, in, in Ukraine companies are built in rented, uh, flats. So we, we rented an apartment as an office space. And so uh, there was like only six of us. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was a pretty big downgrade from, from working at Google. Uh, but I knew that we are building something, something large and we have a mission to, uh, change a lot of people's lives. And since then, we've been uh, doubling number of people who got job offers after studying with us. And uh, 2021, we reached, in total, we did almost like 2,200 students already. Uh, 2021 was uh, 600, and we would probably do like 1,200 uh, in 2022 if there was no war. But uh, uh, we, we still managed to grow even in 2022, despite all of the circumstances uh, of what was happening with the Russian-Ukrainian war. Uh, and yeah, so you had to change your, you have to like descale a lot, do a lot of things manually, and and then hire people to do job better than you do uh, at this position. So yeah, 
since 2018 to till now we grew to 130 people and uh now i think we are back to almost like google scale but one more important metric that i'm always thinking about is so when we measure um what's the what's the total revenue and what's the contribution of our graduates to to the economy is it's actually large so if we do uh in in ukraine tech industry generates around uh 10 billion dollars uh annually and and that's around 200,000 uh engineers so we've placed 2200 that's around 1% of total engineering workforce in ukraine and if you do 1% of uh 10 billion dollars that's 100 million dollars of uh gdp generated by uh our graduates i think this is we are actually kind of reaching pretty large numbers already what extent was basing yourselves in ukraine uh important to you i mean you you really um make a virtue of the fact that you're a ukrainian company so what made you decide to set up there as opposed to staying in new york uh, yeah, that's a really good question. I think this kind of happened historically because we knew the job market really went really well when we were starting. But then the interesting thing about tech is and software engineering is that knowledge is very transferable, and we can see how many people are uh, moving from country to countries and working for international companies like Dublin is a great example, right? There's how many people are working for Google, Meta, Facebook um, in in Dublin. So the knowledge is very transferable. And when I was uh, at Google, I saw uh, new grads joining uh, our my team and other teams. And I saw that the tech skills, the hard skills, they are very comparable in across uh, like all uh, in, in different companies and in different countries. So uh, that's the beauty of software engineering. Knowledge is like very transferable from one company to another company, from one country to another country. And we started in Ukraine because we knew the job market uh, very well, but it was obvious for us from the very beginning that this is not going to be like only a uh, company operating in Ukraine and we want to uh, work internationally. And uh, what we do is applicable in like many other countries as well. So let's then have a look at your main um, challenge at the moment, which I imagine is maintaining uh, your internal infrastructure and also being reliant on a civilian infrastructure that's under constant attack at the moment. How is this affecting your company? Uh, yeah, so this was pretty, this is pretty kind of, um, yeah, this, this year has been pretty intense. Uh, our first international group started studying in English language just one week uh, before the invasion on 23rd of February. And uh, and our first international group is like we had people from uh, from Poland, from South Africa, from India, from Romania, from like other uh, Eastern European countries, and um, and we had to do a, a two weeks break because all of our team had to like move around, move to the west of Ukraine to a safer places uh, and stuff, and. 
to be honest, I wasn't sure we're going to continue after these two weeks because it looked pretty, pretty intense and dangerous. Um, but luckily, things got better. And uh, two weeks after that, we uh, we continued studying. And I'm really happy that all of those students just stayed with us. They uh, they waited for those two weeks and we continued. And this was a uh, really important moment for us. So since then, we we kept uh, admitting students. We already had like uh, two more international groups when we are teaching people in, in English. We have... Uh, people from uh, from UK. We have people, more people from uh, from all across Europe, uh, and we like those groups. Um, and I would say somehow we kind of adapted. Uh, we are operating half of the team is operating remotely from Ukraine, some parts of uh, uh, some countries in Europe. But uh, yeah, we somehow adapted. You have to make your office spaces like very very. Um, independent from all of the infrastructure. So we have like diesel generators for electricity. We have sterling, so we have internet, we have like extra water capacities and stuff like that. So we become very in- independent. And then um, no matter what happens, you can continue operating as a company. Have you found there is an increased interest in supporting Ukrainian companies off the back of the conflict? Um, well, yes. Uh, Yes, we see that. Uh, on the other hand, like uh, people are scared that we are in Ukraine. They 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 don't know how to, in, in media things oftentimes looks pretty horrible, and they are. But uh, Ukraine is a really really large country, uh, right? So there is a lot of places that are safe, and you can continue operating from those places. Places and everything is safe, but um, sometimes uh, students are kind of scared and worried about that and and uh, we totally get that so uh we have to communicate well uh what is happening how things are going and then everything is okay and uh as a as one more uh approach to this is we also start to scaling uh country by country we have a country manager in poland we have like uh already office in poland uh, and we've scaled our content production in Polish language, and uh, and once we uh, launch first two cohorts in Poland, we're gonna go to the next countries, and we really like English-speaking countries because this is uh, we can speak English. This is great, uh, and uh, uh, UK, Ireland are also a great markets because there is a lot of tech com- great tech companies uh, operating there, and I'm sure that's a lot of. Uh, people would uh, benefit from services that we provide and we we help people to land the job in tech. We're in a particularly interesting moment for the tech industry in general, where we have an awful lot of big tech firms laying off an awful lot of developers that, that you mentioned beforehand. How do you think this is going to impact the tech sector as a whole? Do you think there will be an awful lot of free floating labor or will there be a lot of people um, feeling, you know, emboldened or interested in entering the startup sphere and are perhaps looking for people to work with, but are experiencing sort of the, the again, the downside of that skill shortage in the wider workforce? Uh, yeah, this is a really uh, good question. Um, yeah, I think despite like things are that are happening in the short term, in the long term, I think the 
future of tech is uh, still very bright and there will be, um, because in the end of the day, tech is solving people's problems at scales, at scale, right? We we have all of these neo banks that uh, operate without like physical presence. We have like self driving cars and stuff, and all of those things they they with the software they can be um, done at scale. And and number of problems we um, as humans have uh, in 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 our lives uh, is huge, and it's never ending. Right, revolutions happen. Um, I mean, like industrial revolutions and things like this happen, but we never solve all of the problems. And software is the best uh, way to solve a lot of problems because it's scalable. You do it once, and then you can like reuse it uh, many, many times. Um, so that that's great. And because of this, I think that the tech's uh, future is. Is bright. Uh, pretty much all the companies are doing tech these days, and uh, so yeah, I'm sure that for a lot of people, it's a good choice to uh, join tech industry to gain skills in software development, in UI UX design, uh, QA, and uh, any other like positions that you see in tech. It's a still it's a great idea because uh, this is where a lot of you can have a lot of impact as a as a human being, and uh, yeah, and this this is where uh, you can do a lot lots of like interesting and cool stuff. And that was Roman Apostle, the co-founder of Mate Academy, chatting with Niall Kitson. If you want to see their website, and I highly recommend it, you can check it out at mate academy, and that link in the show notes for you right now. This is Tech Radio. That's it for our show this week. Of course, we've got more stories that we didn't have time for in the podcast online for you, including Limerick's Lero winning a prestigious award for its open science work. Uh, with Secure, looks like they're going to follow a trend by cutting its staff. And Google is embarking on an air quality study in Dublin. You get the latest on all of those stories on our website at techcentral.ie. We're back again next Friday, as always, on RTE Radio 1 Extra. And of course, you can get new episodes automatically by clicking follow on your podcast player as well. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Niall Kitson, thanks as always for listening and have a great weekend. Tech Radio is produced by DustPod.io. From me, Artemis, goodbye. Goodbye.